following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California and Fury. What a joy to be with you all here once again. And I am pumped. I'm excited here, everybody. And uh, when I introduce guests on my show, usually I, I go through a list of the championships they've won and the accolades that they've had. But with this guy right here right now, I don't need to do all of that because all I need to do is say his name. He's infamous he is the one he is the only mad man pondo how are you bro thank god there's only one of me thank god there's only one of me but uh man i'm doing good it's uh early morning here 10 a.m what time is it there it's uh just after 10 p.m for me so yeah yeah big change that's it, bro. It tends to be the uh, case when I do these interviews. I'm always up late, but that's okay because it's always a joy to speak with uh, legends of the wrestling industry such as yourself. Uh, and, Pondo, the first question, as per usual on this show, is when you were a young man, how did you become a fan of professional wrestling? So uh, I've told this story a hundred times, so I'm going to sound like Vin Diesel. You know how he says the same speech every time. But... Um, Fairfield, Illinois, me and my family would always go eat with my great-grandma and my great-grandpa. And my family, we were very reserved. Uh, not me, of course. I was the, I was the in every room and in your face, you know, and everybody else was just pretty calm and, and uh, didn't talk a lot. Well, the time... Uh, after we got done eating, um, CWA, which later became USWA with Jerry the King Lawler and Bill Dundee and the Memphis area, wrestling would come on. And my great-grandma and grandpa would lose their mind and be like... I loved wrestling. I loved wrestling. And my mom still has this paper from school. It said, draw what you want to be when you get older. And kids were drawing police officers and firemen and kiss-ass kids were drawing teachers and stuff like that. Well, mine had a... We lost him. We lost him. There we go. Sorry, bro, you cut out there. <laughs> Was that me or you? Uh, you dropped out, yeah. That's okay. I've got you back now. Okay. Um, my, uh, my mom still has... Oh, oh dear. With two, with two stick wrestlers going at it. So, you know, I knew that I wanted to be a wrestler in, in grade school or I wouldn't have drawn that. And then... Uh, later on in life, I found a wrestling school and, uh, been, been, uh, wrestling ever since it's been, uh, 
32 years. My first match was June 24th, 1989. So you can add that up. <laughs> Certainly can, bro. Uh, and, and one thing I wanted to ask, uh, as I've asked a lot of guys who've been involved in deathmatch style wrestling, uh, what was the first thing that attracted to you to that style, uh, you know, as you're moving through the industry? So uh, do you remember when WWE had a pay-per-view every Sunday called In Your House? Yeah. Well, they might as well have been TV, regular TV matches up until the main event. So me and a bunch of friends would always get together at my house to watch those pay-per-views. And I would notice that during the the first 45 minutes, we, we wasn't really watching the TV that much. I mean, you know, if uh, something cool or funny happened but other than that we really didn't care but we'd always watch the main event well uh i had a whole bunch of deathmatch videotapes and the guys knew it so the minute that uh the pay-per-view would get done those same guys that wasn't paying attention to the tv i'd put in one of those deathmatch videotapes and all eyes were on that tv you know they just wasn't engulfed in it and I told myself, you know, I love this stuff. I, I, I was watching Masanaga versus Mr. Pogo. I wore that videotape out. I had to buy another one that I loved it so much. And uh, I just knew that this was, this was what I could do to get my name out there. And boom, here I am on a Zoom meeting with you. You know? <laughs> That's really cool, bro. And uh, uh, thanks for sharing that. That's really cool. Uh, I was doing my research earlier and I found this to be very interesting. Uh, it's going back a while now, but as you said, you but your first match was in 1989. But on the 20th of July, 1991, I don't know if this is your first match there or if you worked there uh, any other times, but my research says that the War Memorial Auditorium in Fort Lauderdale for UWF Fury Hour, you wrestled a guy under the name of the Super Ninja. And UWF is obviously infamous for the one and only Herb Abrams. Um, do you have any sort of stories of your time uh, wrestling there for that company and that man? Oh, I sure do. So um, my mom and dad had uh, one of the first chip satellites in their, in their uh, front yard. Huge, bigger than my car. You know what I mean? Those, those old ones that you had to move to the signal and shit like that. So I got UWF wrestling and you know, there was some major stars at that company. So uh, one day, do you remember Ricky the Dragon Steamboat had a manager called the Super Ninja? Yeah. That was this guy. Okay. American guy out of Vincennes, Indiana, but he had the outfit, so they gave him the job. And then later on, they pulled the mask off of the Ninja and it was Paul Heyman, you know, shit. But the only reason they gave him the job was because he had the outfit. So he calls me one day and says, hey, man, uh, I got you booked at UWF in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Melbourne. And I can't remember where the third town was. Melbourne might, might even have been the, the third of the town. I don't know. So I'm excited. I'm like, hell, yeah, let's do it, you know. And uh, my, my parents had bought me a uh, 87 Thunderbird that was Really easy on gas at the time. 
So he said, the only thing is uh, you have to drive us. And I'm like, no problem. You know, it's a pretty big opportunity for me. Like I see if that was 91, I'd only been in the business two years. So from Vincennes, Indiana to Florida, uh, 14 hours, right? But uh, on the way there, we got stuck in Eagle's Nest on the way. That's a road, uh, one of those winding roads where the semis have to have their lights on. So the tr we got stuck in Eagle's Nest for about five hours. Very slow, very slow. And when we finally got to the end of it, <clears throat> uh, somebody had hit, hit a bear. And the bear is just breathing on the road, right? Because I remember saying, man, I can't wait till that bear gets up pissed off and slaps all the ass off of somebody or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, so 14, so about 17 hours to get to this hotel, right? He had time to tell me anything he wanted for 17 hours. So we get to the hotel, and the first two people that we see is Captain Lou Albano and Bruno Sammartino. And they are welcoming us with open arms. Like, hey, guys, we're, you know, we're so happy to have you here. And, and uh, they said, go on upstairs, put your bags in your room, and come back down and, and uh, eat breakfast with us. I am freaking the fuck out. I'm about to have breakfast with Bruno Sammartino and Captain Lou Albano. I ain't been in this business two years. So uh, at breakfast, they're asking me shit like, uh, you know, how long have I been wrestling? And where's all these companies that I've been at? And I only had like two at the time. So <clears throat> they're a little confused. So, um, that night, we had to go to, uh, a, uh, not a TV taping, but uh, Herb Abrams rented a whole studio for this promo with a guy named Mr. Red, the Super Ninja, uh, talking to Captain Lou Albano. So we go down the hallway. Now, I know who Herb Abrams is because he's on every episode of his TV show. You know, it's his show. He wants to be on it. We all know that type. So we're going down the hallway, and uh, Herb Abrams comes out of his room because we're going to the same elevator. And I notice he has Coke all under his nose. I mean, huge, right? I said, excuse me, sir, but you might want to get that off your nose. And he just took, like, his thumb So I'm like, okay, you know. So we uh, we get on the elevator. We go to this uh, uh, big promo of those two. We come back. We wrestle that night. Still, no word, right? So you saw the match. Have you seen the match? I have not, no. Total shits, right? I've only been in the business two years. And um, I get out of the ring after the match. Uh, Captain Lou Albano got involved in it. Herb Abrams got involved in it. They're beating up Mr. Red and, and all this shit. By the time I got to the back, uh, there, okay, so the War Memorial has two dressing rooms on each side of it. 
And then there's an electric room in the back. And uh, Greg DeGeorge and Bruno Sarmantino say, uh, come, come with us a minute. And they get me in this electric room. And then Captain Lou Albano comes back there. And they're like, where was all the flips? Where were all the the uh, the top rope work and all that stuff? And I'm like, I, I'm confused. I'm like, oh, did you guys want me to try that stuff? And they're like, try? I mean, all this time? And I'm like, no. Uh, back up, They at breakfast, they was even talking about putting me in an angle with uh, Brady Boone, who does moonsaults and and all that shit, but he was doing a thing called a uh, wildcat or thundercat or something like that. So uh, I start figuring things out. Howard had told these guys that I could do moonsaults and all this shit. I had done none of that shit. He had <laughs> 17 hours to tell me that where during the match, I could have faked an injury, you know? So uh, they went ahead and paid me for that show and took me off the other two. So now all of a sudden I'm the laughing stock of, I mean, if you watch the match, Bruno San Martino, Capitalu Albano, and Greg George are just shitting all over me during this match. And I, and with good reason. Like I wasn't good at all. I'd only been in two years. Uh let me back up though. So, so that happened, and then they took me off the shows. I didn't talk to him all the way home. I was so fucking pissed off that that he lied to him and told him that I could do all this stuff because he needed a ride there. Right. right. Here's the part that I forgot to tell you. Uh, so when we get to the War Memorial, now this is before they found out that I couldn't do moonsaults and all that shit. Uh all the wrestlers are going in, into the locker room to the, if you're pointing it, they're going to the ones in the left. So I start following them. Uh, Luna Vachon's in there. Uh, uh, Dave Heath, Gangrel, which he was doing the Blackhearts with some guy. You know, there, there was, there was a, a couple of bigger names that I knew from the, because uh, I would watch the TV show. So uh, Big List says, if your name is on, not on this list, do not go in the locker room. So I'm, and there's a bunch of names, and I'm going through all these names. My name's not on it. Howard's name's not on it. So uh, I can't remember this guy's name, but on that dark side of the ring, he had a yellow uh, UWF jacket on. So I go over to him and I say, "Hey, uh, my name's not on that on that list over there." And, and I in that locker room and he goes, no, I think you need to go to that locker room over there. So I go over to the, to the locker room to the right. And that list has B. Brian Blair, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, Paul Orndorff, uh, uh, Cowboy Bob Orton, Madman Pondo. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? You know, so, so I'm in there with all these Big names getting dressed, you know. I even took a picture of Paul Orndorff with everybody staring at me, like, "What the fuck is this guy doing?" But uh, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's that's my UWF experience, and then they never brought me back. But shortly after that, Herb's money, or or maybe uh, his death, UWF didn't last very long. I think they had one more big event 
the uh, the one that was in Vegas that that didn't draw shit, and then that company fell through anyway. But uh, if if you could have seen Bruno San Martino's face when he was asking me about all this fancy shit that I couldn't do because some motherfucker lied and told him that I could, you know, but I did get breakfast. They bought the breakfast. Captain <laughs> Albano or Bruno, one of them did. So, hey, I got that to say. <laughs> Excellent, bro. I knew if I brought up the UWF that something would happen, and, and thankfully that breakfast happened before the match took place. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, another thing on research, which I'm sure you've been asked about quite a few times, it's 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 about uh, a public access television show that you that you used to have in the in the late '90s. Uh, the program featured nude women cursing, wrestling, and attracted the attention of the one and only Jerry Springer. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about this show that you had uh, put on there in the late '90s? Because it sounds really uh, sounds fun. So. I'm sitting at this little Kmart building talking to this old man and uh, he's telling me that the wrestling that he's seeing at in that Kmart building, he's like, you guys should put this on public access. And I told him, I said, Oh, the promoter will never put this on public access. He's, he, he's all about money and, and public access is for free. And he says, well, they have some wrestling on there now, but, it's just so bad. It's just so terrible. I still watch it, but it'd be nice to see some good wrestling on there. And uh, I told him, you know, that, yeah, well, I, I would love to help him out, but I know this guy's not going to go for free. So then he starts telling me, he said, uh, you know, the only thing with public access, because I watch it a lot, is uh, they, they let cursing on there. And I was like, really? acting like I was all disgusted and shit. And he said, and you know what else they have? You can have naked women on that on that station. I was like, I'm appalled. And then I had a show two weeks later called Skull Talk, right? So I got a hold of public access. And uh, uh, here is the kicker. The FCAA, it, it's illegal for them to check your videotape before you put it on public access. I, I don't know the logistics of it, but that's what I was told. And thank God that's exactly the way it was because I got away with skull talk, right? So uh, a guy named Tower of Doom had these shows in Cincinnati that had strippers at them. Uh, they, they wasn't naked at the, at the wrestling show, but they were strippers. So I had him talk to a few of them. Uh, there was some girls that I knew and, uh, you know, so I got this idea where I would introduce wrestling matches, but have naked girls sitting on my lap. It was the best worst idea I ever had because <laughs> all they had to do was sit there while I introduced this match and uh, it would be done. But no, it's all, uh, let me go smoke a cigarette. Uh, let me fix my hair, Are my boobs looking good. You know, all this shit that, that would make it last so much longer. And I was, you know, it doesn't matter how good their boobs are. If they're aggravating you, you want away from them motherfuckers. You know what I mean? <laughs> but anyway, so 
we did. We we made some. Uh, I I put two video two VCRs together and edited all these shows myself. And uh, here is another fact about it: they put Skull Talk in between two religious shows. I don't know why, but uh, there was preachers on each on each side of Skull Talk. Uh, I can't even remember what time my show started. Say my show started at eight o'clock, at seven o'clock, and nine o'clock. There was religious show of preachers. <laughs> right now, um, they wouldn't let you advertise on there, but they would let you put your your email address on there. And back in the day, I had a thing called Web TV. Do you, do you guys, are you familiar with that? Uh, I remember hearing about that, that, yeah. It was a keyboard that you could plug into your TV, and your TV would become a computer. And I didn't understand just how aggravating I was be, but my, uh, my email address was uh, MMP underscore N... Uh, I N underscore D A underscore house uh, 69 at web TV, you know, so already to write down my email address is just aggravating as fuck. Right. <laughs> so, but uh, I would put my email address up on, on the screen and I'll be damned if that what the, the, uh, the nine o'clock preacher would write me every week, tell me I was going to hell and, and, uh, you know, just, just knocking my dick in the dirt. And I, I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really answer back. Uh, I understood his pain, you know, I mean, here he is trying to put on some religious show and then you got some fat bellied scumbag fucking cussing with naked ladies all over your lap. I get it. So one time I went to, uh, dropped my videotape off at the studio and it was an old grocery store. So, uh, they had the, the in the doors would open the out, the doors would open for you. So one day go to that studio, as I was walking in, that preacher was walking out <laughs> and we locked eyes and we sat there and stared at each other for a second. And then he went on to his car and then I went on to mine when I got home, I'll be damned if I didn't have this coward fucking email of, I seen you, you're lucky I didn't, uh, I don't know what he said, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, the last thing I'll tell you about Skull Talk, they had rules. And I just told you one that uh, uh, you couldn't advertise on there, but you could have your email address on there. Uh, rule number two, you couldn't have any penis on there, which I wouldn't want penis on my show anyway. <laughs> and number three, you couldn't have any penetration, right? Well, I kept going and I just kept pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope. And finally, uh, for the last episode of Skull Talk, I had a girl using a dildo on herself, but moaning real loud while I was trying to uh, introduce a match. So finally I said, shut up, bitch. <laughs> so she stopped. And then I said, here's Madman Pondo versus the Sandman. And then I looked over at her and I said, okay, go ahead. And then I stared at her while she was using that dildo on her. Well, 
that was penetration. And uh, they shut my show off. You know, they they called me that night and said, hey, uh, we're not going to be able to have Skull Talk on anymore. By then, I'm, I'm telling you the truth, I was so over that shit just because the girls were so needy and, and it, you know, there, there's, always, there's always the hottest girl in the world that somebody's tired of fucking. <laughs> does, that, does that line make sense? Well, it does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. There's, there's always the best pair of boobs that I would get tired of, of filming because of their bullshit. All right. So I was really done with the show already, but uh, when they said, okay, no more skull talk, all, all of a sudden a big burden got released. So I was like, all right, this is cool. Uh, about two months later, uh, public access called my phone again and said, Hey, is there any way you can start doing those shows again? And I was like, uh, well, why, why would you want them now? And they was like, well, there was local people in the area buying, buying into public access so they can see your show. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, well, uh, nah, I'm not too interested, but. I have all the copies here. I'll bring them down there, you know. So they played uh, the reruns of Skull Talk forever. I, I don't even remember how long it was. But, yeah, like I said, it was the best, worst idea I ever had in my damn life. <laughs> that was awesome. What a great story. Thanks, Bray. I love that. Uh, and what a way to go out as well. It's a perfect ending. Uh, to, to the show for sure. Uh, <laughs> getting back on to, to talking about wrestling, bro. Uh, uh, a little while back, uh, sometime last year, I had the opportunity to interview Too Tough Tony. Uh, and we did talk a bit about his experience with yourself and Corporal Robinson in Big Japan. I just wanted to um, throw that question at you what it was like, you know, during those days, the three of you over there. Tell me a little bit about Big Japan with, you, with your friends. Corporal Robinson. Corporal Robinson never went to Japan in his damn life. Oh, right. Okay, my bad. <laughs> he, uh, so I had Corporal Robinson booked in Japan before Too Tough Tony. Yeah. And um, uh, Big Japan kept asking for a copy of Corporal Robinson's passport, just a Xerox copy of it. So I kept asking him for it, asking him for it. Finally, uh, I'm on a show on a Thursday, but flying to Japan on Friday. And I told Corporal, I said, you got to get me that that paper. You got to get me that copy. Otherwise, I don't know what they're going to do, if they're going to bring you in or not. He's, he said, Pondo, I will have it at your house before you leave. Well, of course, I left and no Corporal Robinson. So when I flew over there, his pictures were on the tickets. His pictures were on the poster. And uh, so they had every intention on bringing him over there. Well, I just thought he was a big procrastinator and and didn't get me the copy. So when I got to Japan, I lied and said, oh, I'm sorry. He gave me that, but I left it at my house. And they, they told me then, they're like, well, we need that before the next tour, you're going to have to go home and, and send it to us. And I said, I'll do it as soon as I get home. So 
I think that was like a three and a half week tour. I got home and Corporal and his girlfriend at the time, or wife, whichever one, were sitting at a table. Two Tony and Caspo's both sitting at that table. I go over and I sit down at the table. I say, Corporal, I need that paper. Bar none, I need that paper. And his girlfriend pipes in and says, we can't afford $110 right now. And I looked at Corporal and I said, Corporal, you have your passport, right? And Corporal goes, I told you I didn't have my passport. And Cash Flow and Tony both attacked him like, dude, you totally told him you had your, your passport and all this shit. So he never even had a passport to get into Japan. So that's how Tony got in there because, right. you know, I had, to, I had to tell him the truth and say, hey, I lied about that, but um, uh, I can bring this other guy. And that's how Bakugajin got started. Uh, uh, Tutu Tony went instead of Corporal Robinson with had uh, Corporal's picture on it, but he that's about as far as he ever got in Japan is that picture on that ticket. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, sometimes the inc- internet can be incorrect with, with some of the stuff that's out there, so I apologize for, for being wrong about that. Um, uh, okay, uh, another thing I wanted to bring up, which I, I thought was interesting, 16th of July, 2003, uh, yourself, Nate Webb, and Dirk Sigler uh, work on TNA Explosion against three live crew. What was your experience like working at TNA at that point, and and why did nothing else uh, come about later on? Now, what's that other Ziggler's name from WWE? Adolf uh, Ziggler? No, that's no, him. No, it's not. His name's Dirk Ziggler. Uh, let me have a look. I'll, I'll find this. Um, I, I remember that kid, but um, so. While you're looking for that, so New Jack calls me up and says, Pondo, I'm, I'm going to be in Nashville. He said, I'm tired of working the Sandman. You can only work a drunk man so many times. <laughs> Would you please come down, let them meet you, bring a videotape, and let's see what they do. And I said, okay, no problem. Well, this was at the time that uh, a gentleman – uh, I, I say that very loosely, was fighting with impact a lot. So, and, and me, uh, uh, Nate Webb, and Chris Hero all worked for that guy. It's fucking Ian, it's that piece of shit, Ian Rotten. Right. So, um, it was supposed to be me, Nate, and Chris Hero. Chris Hero already knew what the deal was. So, he wasn't going to go. Uh, Nate Webb was going there frequently, and I was there just to give a videotape and meet New Jack, but get a payday out of it through New Jack by doing this match on TV. And basically what they did, they took three of Ian's guys and put us versus uh, three live crew. Yeah. All right. So three live crew says... uh, well, not three live crew. Jer- Jeremy Borash comes over and says, all right, guys, this match is going to last about five minutes. So already I'm telling myself nobody's getting a job on TV with five minutes. There's no way. So uh, Conan comes over 
and says, hey, guys, just stand back. Uh, don't attack us or nothing because I got to speak on this for two minutes. Sure. So now we're down to three minutes, right? And their ideas was <laughs> after Conan uh, puts the microphone down, we attack them. They come back on us. Uh, uh, Conan does his finish to the 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 mystery guy. Um, Ron Killings does his finish to Nate Webb, and uh, Road Dog does his his uh, his whole uh, you know coming off the ropes and knocking yeah. his knees together uh, to yeah. me. So they're gonna beat us up. All three of us are going to go outside the ring, and we're supposed to come back in singly. Uh, mystery guy comes in, then Nate comes in, and then I come in, right? So uh, sure enough, Conan puts the mic down. Um, uh, and, and, and let me also say this. When I got in the ring, people started chanting Pondo. Not a <laughs> lot, but there was there was people there chanting Pondo, and I was like, shit, man. So already my my heart's sinking down into my stomach. And me and Road Dog has talked about this since. So it sounds like I was being an asshole, but I just knew nobody was getting a job out of this shit, right? <laughs> so uh mystery guy gets in the ring and uh um oh Conan. Mystery guy gets in the ring, Conan does something to him. Uh Nate gets in the ring. Ron Killings does something to him. Road dogs in the ring. I go to the back. <laughs> I wasn't even out there. Right. And uh, so Road Dog came back there and he said, Hey, where was you, buddy? You you were supposed to get in the ring. And I'm like, man, I just got so confused. Uh I came to the back, you know, because I knew nobody was gonna get a job out of that shit. So why why take one more thing, right? Yeah. Uh, before that though, so, um, I get to the, to the fair in Nashville, Tennessee, and I go inside the arena and, uh, uh, I can't remember. Oh, Tony Falk, Tony Falk says, uh, go sit over there on, on those bleachers with those other guys and they'll, they'll get, they'll, they'll tell you where to go. Right. So I go over there and I'm sitting with them. And it's a whole bunch of muscle-bound dudes. And I mean, eating steroids in their cereal since they was two-year-old, you know. <laughs> and uh, here I am, fat-bellied, no-muscle guy. And all of them, the, there's like four of them. And they're all talking about, man, all they got to do is just see what I got. And they're going to give me a job. And and uh, they're talking about the gym. And one's talking about he he's up for a commercial for, uh, I don't know, some kind of uh, a, a supplement, you know, all these conversations I'm not included in. So Bill Barings comes out of the office and he's walking towards those bleachers. And it was like, uh, these guys like, Oh, here, here he comes. Here comes Bill. Here comes. <laughs> and, uh, Bill goes over to that bleacher and he goes, Pondo, you're in the locker room. Right. And I just kind of turned around and looked at all four of them dudes and walked in the <laughs> locker room. But you could tell they was not happy. But uh yeah, I I really after that didn't 
I mean, I really didn't even care about working on TNA at that time because I was having fun doing what I'm doing, going to Japan back and forth. But uh, New Jack, it would have been cool to do something with New Jack on uh, TNA. But the, the night that I was there, New Jack was with Shark Boy and they were using Hulk hands. And I'm like, what the, the new Jack, what the fuck are you doing? And he was like, man, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do and shit like that. So I don't know. I don't, I don't think I would have been a, a good fit. Not that they wanted me, but I didn't care whether I was there. If that makes any sense. It certainly does, bro. I get you. Uh, and, and, and that Dirk Sigler guy, uh, he'd also worked under the name of Richard Swinger. Uh, he wrestled from 99 to 2008. He's trained by Boomer, Payne, Mad Mike, and Quinn Magnum. He's from Mount Pleasant, Pennsylvania. That's that's all I mean, the information. I, I, see the, I can see the kid in, in my in my eyes, but his name, I couldn't tell you what his name was. <laughs> I, remember, uh, I remember Nate Webb, after we found out that we only had three minutes, it's like, yeah, that's cool. And, the, and then everybody walked away. I'm like, Nate, why is that cool? And he's like, oh, I've done this several times and i'm like what a come on man they're just disrespecting the shit out of you you know but i don't know different strokes for different strokes my my dream of wrestling was never wwe i i get it uh, a bunch of guys say oh i never wanted wwe because wwe never wanted them wwe never wanted me either wcw didn't want me i mean none of these companies wanted me but but my dream was never WWE. My dream was always Japan. And I went 43 times there and back. So I'm happy with, with what I did in the rest. Absolutely, bro. Yeah, not, not everyone's dream is to, to play some silly character in WWE. You know, uh, sometimes, you know, the, what made you fall in love with the business? You know, that's what's more important. Uh, and and I wanted to get to uh, the King of the Deathmatch uh, and deathmatches in general here. Um, so I'm just going to r- rattle off this for the viewers. Um, you, you won the 2003 King of the Deathmatch tournament uh, on the 1st and 2nd of August 2003 in Clarksville, Indiana. Uh, starting off with a tables match with Nate Webb, a light tubes match with Axel Rotten, a bed of nails and Caribbean spider web match with Nick Gage, and a barbed wire ropes House of Horrors steel cage match with JC Bailey. So uh, a bunch of legendary guys' names that I just brought up there. Um, please tell me about this experience, uh, you know, and and I know you, you mentioned Ian's name before, and if you could uh, expand on, on, on why you feel that way about him. Well, excluding excluding Ian's attitude every once in a while or getting fucked on paydays, which uh, I'll go ahead and say this. Everybody was getting paid shit at IWA Mid-South, but that's our fucking fault because we stayed. We could have left at any minute, but we didn't. We stayed. It was our fault. But um, other than having to eat a meal at Denny's with Ian after the matches every once in a while, listen to him put himself over and all his fucking horse shit, <laughs> IWA Mid-South at that time was probably my funnest company in America, man. Like, all my friends were there. 
uh, we all got along. We all had a good time. And uh, so uh, the first match was Nate Webb. Uh, I had put Nate Webb over um, the previous King, uh, I can't remember what it was, but uh, Nate did the same thing to me twice, put me through two tables off the edge of the wall. And then, uh, you know, when I went over Nate, and then my second one was Axel, right? Yeah. All right. Axel was, uh, was uh, very cooperative. He knew that I was going to the end. So um, that was a fun match. Uh, I hadn't seen Nick Gage since Japan and I was still going and they wasn't, so I didn't know how he would feel about me, but open arms when he saw me, you know, and then of course, JC, we always had good matches. So I knew that the main event was going to be a good match. And, uh, 2003 winner, like, uh, I don't know. I, I am very fortunate to be the 2003 winner because if you ask so many people what their favorite master uh, uh favorite king of the death match was a lot of them will say 2003 so i'm glad i was the one at the end of that one. Oh, that's awesome bro um and another question i like to ask i've had i've had guys like thumbtack jack on the show matt tremont um we've had uh, Masada on the show. I always ask this question. Uh, tell me about the atmosphere in the, in the air, the day of a death match tournament. You know, you're about to go through some heavy shit. Uh, everyone else knows they're about to go through some heavy shit. It, tell me about what that feels like that day when it's, when, when something that, um, you know, crazy is about to take place. I am probably the oddest ball that you might've had on your show. Cause I don't even think about that until I'm getting ready to go through that curtain. Right. Um, uh, getting there early and uh, picking and choosing which weapons that, that the fans made that you want, putting dibs on those. I learned very early to get there early for deathmatch tournaments because if you don't, then you're stuck with what everybody else didn't want to use. Right. So uh, that that's a big factor. Uh, I, I never once thought to myself, uh, what am I going to do if I got hurt? It was always, oh, uh, I'm going to do this. That way I can make the fans pop and, and say my name. It was never, um, oh, no, this, this is going to hurt. So all that stuff you saw me do, I, I it was just – Fans, right? Uh, taking that power bomb on the bed of nails from Nick Gage in 2003. The fans all went nuts. Uh, taking the um, suplex off an 18 foot scaffold down into a, a, a ring with. So. I really don't have, I, I don't know about the rest of the guys, but I really have maybe uh, some kind of psychotic problem <laughs> that I don't care until after, right? And 
for 32 years, I never got hurt. Never got hurt. Always walked out. Uh, never went to the hospital. I take that back. I, I, I went to the hospital and uh, got some uh, vaginas on my arms or my uh, face uh, stitched up because I didn't want them to heal and <laughs> look like the worst shit ever. But I never spent the night in the hospital until WrestleMania weekend of uh, of last year. So I think that's for, for considering the shit that I've went through in my wrestling <laughs> career. I think that's a, a pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, compliment that I never spent the night in the hospital until 32 years. <laughs> pretty good bro pretty good uh and speaking of uh you know recovering after uh, a hellacious day such as a, a day of a deathmatch tournament how do you personally recover from such a hard day at the office do you, is there anything that you do in the coming days after something like that that you you go to to i guess try and make yourself feel a bit better or maybe you don't have any of those problems <laughs> Not really, man. I would just live life, you know. Uh, I, I would go shopping in grocery stores and my forehead would be all destroyed and I would scare children, right? They would, they'd hide behind their moms or, or stuff like that. But, yeah, I just lived. I just kept on going. Um, no matter how bad I was hurt, no matter how – I always went for the reputation of – Man, that, okay, so uh, what I was just talking about where I finally got hurt, uh, Matthew Justice put a knee right down in my ribs off a second-story balcony, breaking rib three and four, uh, three going not just ripping a hole, uh, not just puncturing a hole, but ripping a hole in my lung, making it collapse to the size of oh, my fist. And... Uh, I went back to the ring and did another six or seven minutes and then uh, went to go to my mom's house to just sleep and maybe everything would be okay the next day. But no, I mean, I, that was that one I had to go to the hospital, but um, they put this, uh, they put this tube into my chest so they could release the air and then uh, I was supposed to stay a total of three days, but I accidentally knocked that thing out in the bathroom, that tube. So when they was giving me the x-ray to figure out how to get that put back in there, they said, Mr. Candy, you're, you'll be able to go home. Your lung is at full capacity. So, yeah, I always spent one night, 32 years, I always spent one night in the hospital. So <laughs> I'd say that's a pretty good record. That's a fantastic record, especially with what you've put and, yourself through over the years. <laughs> yeah, and uh, having my ribs broke and my lung collapse, I went back to the ring and did another six or seven minutes. So I think that puts me in the bad motherfuckers club. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and another question I had, how many bed sheets do you think you've ruined in your uh, post-deathmatch uh, career in, in your life? How many? You know... I, it's, it's always an ongoing joke back in the day about we wonder what the maid thought when she came in and, and cleaned the hotel. But now, uh, that, and that was before, 
you put your uh, debit card on everything, you know, you'd pay cash and, and you would, you would uh, leave and whatever state that that room was in, they never cared. But now it's easy as, uh, Oh, there's blood all over the bed. Then he use a debit card or a credit card charges credit card. So it's different now, but uh, man, I really couldn't count it's been probably over 50. I bet. <laughs> over the years, over the 32 years, I bet over 50. And it's not like I, I tried. It's not like I tried to take holes in my in my uh, skin and make art out of it. It was just I would wake up the next day and the sheet would be glued to me or. <laughs> yeah, so. I, uh, I interviewed DJ Hyde maybe about three or four weeks ago and I, I pitched to him an idea for merchandise for CZW. I could pitch that same thing for you. Uh, you know, the exclusive uh, deathmatch bed sheets. You want to feel like that you've woken up like a real deathmatch wrestler. You can get these bed sheets and it's just got patterns of, of blood stains all over it. I think, I think right. fans, fans might be into that idea, but uh I don't know if uh, I don't know how how much money you make from that, but anyway, uh, moving forward, uh, I got to bring this up before I talk about IWA East Coast. We're getting to towards the tail end here, bro. Uh, again, thank you for your time, uh, Juggalo. Fine. Excellent, bro. Juggalo Championship Wrestling. Got to bring up the clowns working with them. Uh, you know, spoke at length with Too Tough Tony about his experiences there. Do you have any fun stories of working with the Insane Clown Posse and, and working at their bloody manias and, and and the gathering of the Juggalos? I mean, there's got to be something that's happened. So I am the only wrestler that has done something active in the ring for all 21 gathering of the Juggalos. I've wow. been to all 21 of them. Not Tony, not Corporal. Uh, Mosfit Mike has been to all tw 21 gatherings, but not active in the ring. Uh, well, I mean, kind of he was. He would come to the schools and stuff like that. But I am the only wrestler, 21 years, has done something active in the ring for the gathering of the Juggalos. And if you can imagine, over... 21 years I have seen some shit at them gathering of the jugglers but <laughs> it gets such a bad reputation that I hate telling a lot of the stories like uh, uh, I did not agree with Tila Tequila uh, them throwing shit at Tila Tequila and I would have jugglers coming up to me like yeah bro I'm the one that shit the watermelon and threw it at Tila Tequila, and I'm, I got no respect for that. And I'll tell yeah. you why. When they throw things at the artists, it makes it harder for Insane Clown Posse to be able to book other artists because their first thought is, oh, well, they threw a bunch of shit at Tila Tequila. Now, Tila Tequila is the most famous one that got stuff thrown at her, I guess, because she was a girl and she took her top off and tried to get the juggalos to like her and all that shit. But that is not the worst one. Um, back in the early days, I had a guy named Bubba Sparks. Oh, my God. They destroyed Bubba Sparks with shit. But the one that I can say, because I was there, uh, the Yin Yang Twins, they threw so much shit at them guys 
that they would disappear every once in a while. And I'm I'm talking about I am probably uh, a football field away from the stage. So I should be able to see everything on that stage. But every once in a while, they threw so much shit that the Yin Yang Twins, their, uh, of course, their finishing song should have been the to the window, to the wall. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. But uh, oh, so two songs in, they started throwing shit. So they they tried to play that song to get the, the Juggalos to come around. But no, man, I, I don't know what they had against them Yin Yang Twins, but. They're the worst ones that I ever saw get bombed with a bunch of shit. And, man, just think about all the artists that I've seen over the years. I saw I saw uh, Old Dirty Bastard. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, think about that. I saw uh, Ice Cube, Ice T, um, Busta Rhymes, uh, Exhibit, trying to think of MC Hammer. <laughs> uh, I mean, just artist after artist comedian after comedian i saw charlie murphy i saw ralphie may you can't see them guys no more i saw uh cheech and chong you know? oh wow um just recently at this last one uh i had three goals i wanted to see kid and play in concert because i'm a big house party fan and i did get to do that i was there was maybe one section of people in between me, the guardrail, and then you couldn't play. And uh, if you if you remember the movie, they did the whole foot dance. Loved that. Um, I wanted to get my picture with Steve-O, but uh, I didn't get my picture with him, but I did get a very interesting picture of Steve-O did this thing where he put his dick and balls in between his legs, and then he said, hey, does everybody want to see my butthole? And they all said yes. And when he turned around and held that thing apart, it looked like a thermos. Like, he's had some damage to that motherfucker. But I got that picture, so. Um, and then uh, Chris Hansen from uh, uh, To Catch a Predator. Uh, I got my picture with him. I got my picture with him. And then uh, I wrestled, got paid, and then I went home. I only spent two days at the gathering this year. Usually I stay all the days, but uh, I had, like, this one sprung up, man. This one was a quick, quick one. But um, I'd already had a uh, booking for Saturday and Sunday. So uh, I stayed Thursday and Friday, and then I, I went and made my uh, my booking on Saturday. Awesome, bro. Thanks for sharing all that. And yes, I hope to one day get to go to a gathering of the Juggalos when all of this bullshit's over and done with and I can finally travel again. Let me say something else. I say the gathering of the Juggalos gets a bad reputation because it does. But if those same people that gave the gathering of the Juggalos uh, such, such hard times, if they went to the gathering, they would realize... I've been to all 21 and I've maybe seen three, maybe four fights. Yeah. Out of 21 years. Those kids are all about, all about uh, family and loving each other. Uh, small story. So, like five years ago, the, the big story was that um, there was a stabbing at the gathering of the Juggalos. 
Well, that's all they put. Stabbing at the gathering of the juggalos. They did not put that it was two food vendors arguing over prices of food and <laughs> and stab. They just let it hang out that it was it was a stabbing. So of course nobody's gonna think that it was two food vendors. They're, they're gonna go straight for the juggalos, and that's exactly what happened. So yeah, the gathering of the juggalos is all about family and having a good time and and uh uh, maybe it's because I'm Madman Pondo, but I've never went hungry at a gathering of the Juggalos. I, if I've been walking through the trails, they're like, hey, man, you, you you want something to eat? You need something to drink? I have been offered a ton of drugs, but I don't do any of them. So, so really, it was a waste of time. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I hope you do make a gathering of the Juggalos someday and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Definitely on the bucket list for me. Uh, time to talk about IWA East Coast. Uh, it's now been around 17 years. Uh, I'm sure you've been asked this many a times, but there might be some people out there that don't know the story. What led to you wanting to start your own promotion? So I was living in Mexico, Missouri and, uh, a guy there had said, hey, come in and, and uh, help me run this company, but he only ran one show. So really there was, there was every wrestling that I had to go to was not near. It was always uh, four hours, 10 hours and all that shit. So my buddy Woody Numbers, which were, were – um, October the 8th, we're having, he, he passed away. We're having the uh, Woody Numbers um, fourth annual memorial match coming up. Me and my partner, Duke the Nukes, taking on Ricky and Kerry Morton. But uh, he would always say, man, I, I want to run a promotion down here, and I want you to come down here. I want you to be the one to run it. And I would ask him, I'm like, how many companies is running around you right now? And he would say seven. And I'm like, you know how difficult it's going to be to run a company around seven others? So finally, I said, okay, I'll drive down there and, and uh, we'll go to all these shows and, and we'll see what, what can be done. So I drove to Charleston, West Virginia from Mexico, Missouri, and... Uh, I went to five of those, five of those shows out of the seven. <clears throat> and finally I told him, I was like, I know what we need to do to have a good show. He's like, what's that? I said, put on a good show. Uh, like the other shows, man, they were just going through the motions. And so uh, the very first show, when we planned it out, I was like, okay, so who could we get? That's going to draw a crowd. And they were throwing off names here and there and there and there, here, here. And finally, uh, one of them said, well, I'd say that we could get Abdullah the Butcher, but he no-showed in this area two times in a row. I'm like, holy shit, guys, that's the information I need right there. Abdullah the Butcher is my boy. He's not going to no-show me. So let's make him the main event. And uh, that'll give our company a little a little exposure. So then who do you put Abdullah the Butcher with? 
my buddy, my other buddy, Necro Butcher. Battle of the Butchers. There you go. Oh, what there you go. Man, right? Yeah. Big Japan at the time. So I asked Tasaka who he could send because he, he was all the time asking me finding, to find companies for uh, their wrestlers to wrestle at. So I asked him, I said, okay, who can you send me? So he sent me uh, Raoji Ito, which I wrestled, and he sent me Dasuke Sakimoto, which I put versus Ian. So, all right, we had two Japanese wrestlers, Abdul the Butcher. What else can we do? So I'm good friends with Chris Hero, and I have seen him and Cristaldi at the time, but now Cesaro, seen them work a hundred times. It's always smooth. Brought them in, right? So then uh, Chris Hero, I'm sorry, uh, Cesaro was dating Allison Danger at the time. Well, Mickey Knuckles was riding with Ian all the time. So there's another match. Then I told myself, okay, we need somebody from WWE, good friends with uh, Zach Gowan. So I brought in Zach Gowan and uh, Nate Webb. So there we go. So six solid matches. Absolutely. And uh, we had 250 people for our very first show. And then we just kept it up after that. Uh, our next star we brought in was New Jack. Our next star we brought in was was uh, fucking Sandman. And then we brought in Vader. And then we brought in uh, uh, Badass Billy Gunn. And, you know, uh, the Badass Billy Gunn one drew uh, over 200 people. And on that, ma- on that night, uh, Chris Hero beat uh, badass Billy Gunn. Everybody freaked out. So the next show, we had damn near 400 people. And you're talking about on uh, a Tuesday night in Charleston, West Virginia. 400 people. So on that show, because of our pre-sale, we knew that we was going to have a lot of people there. So that's where we put Chris Hero versus Dick Togo. Phenomenal match. Which, do you know, uh, we was very smart about things. So then we, we would bring it, we brought in, I mean, we just kept, we brought in Steve Carino. Uh, we brought in uh, uh, Spike Dudley. You know, we always had one star on each show that people would want to come in and meet. We had Raven. I forgot about Raven. Actually, uh, to all promoters out there, we were drawing 250 to 400 people a show. And I only wrestled one of the stars that we brought in. Promoters will bring in uh, wrestlers and wrestle them every time and put themselves at a higher level than everybody. But I think your company grows bigger if you let everybody wrestle the stars, you know. And, and that's exactly what we did. And, and man, we were successful. From Charleston, maybe after seven seven years, uh, I mean, we we were on top, man. You can ask any of the companies in West Virginia; we were number one. So, I moved to Louisville, but what before I did, 
there was a, a group of guys that was just helping us. And uh, I told them everything they had to do that I was doing, um, where to hand out flyers, where to uh, go to. I was, I was going on the radio, uh, you know, all this shit that I was doing for IWA East Coast. I told them, okay, is everybody prepared to do that? Everybody was like, yes, yes, yes. So the next show, I drove in from Louisville to Charleston. We had 200 people. Next show, 150. Um, it just kept declining, declining. And I would tell these guys, I'm like, look, if you're not going to do this, let's just shut this shit down and go out on top. And uh, everybody was like, oh, no, 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 we're going to do it. And then finally, J.C. Bailey passed away. So we had a J.C. Bailey uh, uh, the, uh we was trying to make money for J.C. Bailey's uh, headstone. So I had Joe Bailey, his dad, come in and run the door. That way Joe Bailey knew that all the money was going to him, every bit of it. <clears throat> and we only drove 50 people for that. So I just shut the company down. I didn't try to do a DVD sale to save it. I didn't, I didn't beg fans to come to the show or the, or the company shutting down. No, my idea was just to shut the company down and let people remember it for what it was. So we did that. I did that. And then uh, a few years later, maybe two or three, a couple of guys, uh, Scott Milan and uh, Fat Ton, Michael Tawny, asked me if, if called me up and asked me if they could use the uh, IWA's Coast name. I said, yeah, go ahead and you guys can have it. And they was like, well, we want you to run the locker room. I was like, okay. Uh, you know, so I'm driving from Louisville to Charleston, West Virginia. And all I can, I got this knot in my throat all the way there. Like, I can't believe I gave my company away. And then at the end of the night, something happened that had never happened on any of the other shows in all those years. I got paid at the end of the night. I was like, shit, why did I wait so long to give this company away? <laughs> but um, my pay always went for the star for the next show. So I never, you know, I was working uh, the whole uh, Rob from Peter to pay Paul, you know, so we making sure that the company stayed on top. And uh, so now, um, we just did the Masters of Pain. We drew 300 in a skating rink in uh, Campbell's Creek, West Virginia, a suburb of Charleston. And uh, we've got some attention again. And now um, the local uh, baseball team, October the 8th, were, were in there. So uh, IWA's Coast is still alive and going to this day. Awesome, bro. That's thanks so much for uh, sharing all of that. It's such a great, uh, just an insight to 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 the company and everything that you've been through, especially through those early days. I love hearing about that stuff. It's it's uh, this is why I like uh, doing these shows because uh, I get to learn these things, uh, and learning is my favorite part of of anything that I do. And, and speaking of the masters of pain, I I I I've spoke to some other guys on the, on the show that I've, that have done the tournament and they, they always, they've always given props to you 
for this tournament because you'll put yourself in that tournament. You you always ensure that you put someone over. You always make sure that you uh, help those younger guys, uh, and, and that's what this kind of tournament's all about. Uh, I wanted to ask you about what makes the Masters of Pain one of the most prestigious deathmatch tournaments in, in wrestling. Well, here's the thing, man. Um, too many guys that run their own companies have won the tournaments. Now, I don't want to sit here and debate real fake or whatever, but it's fucking fake, right? <laughs> like, it's, it's the it's the uh, it's the promoter's decision on who's going to the end. So if that same promoter goes to the end, he's a fucking dick, you know, who just wants to put himself over. So it was always my goal to take somebody who, uh, who I thought would uh, make a, make a good death match worker and make a great death match worker out of them. So, yeah, you're right. Like I always scheduled myself versus, whoever to where I, I don't think I ever went past the, the first, um, I can't remember if I have not uh, take that back. I went over Danny Havoc and then went under to, uh, brain damage one year, but, uh, other, other years I was out the, the first seed because I want to help elevate death matches. All these guys, all these promoters out there, wanted to help elevate themselves henceforth putting themselves over in, in, in their own tournament. Like this year, um, and I pay attention, I was going through all the uh, comments on people coming to the Masters of Pain, and I heard everybody say, uh, I, I know Slash going to the end. Uh, John Wayne Murdoch's on a heater. He's not going to lose. Alex Colon's the baddest man alive. Um, uh, G Ravers got this, you know. I heard all that shit. Well, them four was down the very first uh, seed. <laughs> and uh, so then the next two would have been Shane Mercer and Jimmy Lloyd. Everybody's like, Jimmy Lloyd uh, won, won – uh, CZW's tournament. So, you know, I'm pretty sure he's going. Or Shane Mercer's the most powerful guy in this tournament. I'm sure he's going. Both of them down. And then <laughs> the two youngest guys that I had on the Masters of Pain was the main event. And uh, Fat Tom was even kind of questioning uh, my placement because he was feeding into what the people were saying. You know, he's like, are you – are you sure you're not going to disappoint somebody at the end of this tournament? And I'm like, I'm guaranteeing you, I'm putting the most, the two most hungriest guys in the main event, and they're going to go out there and they're going to blow it away. And that's exactly what happened. I don't know if you saw the match or not, but they, they did fucking phenomenal. And then uh, I really have not heard one bad thing about the Masters of Pain. Uh, and and trust me, I, I'm a. I I really stay off the internet. I mean, you already know just by me trying to get on this Zoom thing. I'm a computer <laughs> dumbass, but um, I I pay attention to what fans say, and no, I haven't heard one person 
Okay. So the one, uh, I'll take that back. So the one thing that uh, people were pissed off about was one, we didn't let them cut videos of the matches for clips later on. And two, we didn't live stream it. Well, GCW, ICW, uh, all these other companies, feel free. You want to live stream your, your shit, feel free. Um, and Fatcon, he was even feeding into it like, man, we need to figure out how to live stream. I'm like, no, trust me. We do not want to live stream. And we kept our eyes on people cutting videos and stuff like that. And Michael Thick at Murder, Death, Kill Club even told me that uh, people were sending him clips every day. But I told him, don't put any of them clips on the Murder, Death, Kill Club until the DVD came out. So, uh, in my opinion, and this is my opinion, and since I'm the one that's running the Masters of Pain, whoever doesn't like this, this decision is just going to have to lump it because we paid for the Masters of Pain four times in a row. And I'll tell you why. Uh, we told people, go ahead and take as many pictures as you can and put those on the internet. So a picture keeps people wondering, oh, I wonder what happened there. And then they'll go and they'll buy the DVD or they'll buy the download. Uh, if you go ahead and give it to them, then they've already seen it. They don't care what it is. So uh, I think we made the right decision. Like I said, we paid for that Masters of Pain immensely. And uh, we're going to do that in 2022 as well. We're, we're not going to live stream it. Uh, live stream is just not for us. And we know that people are hating on it, but those same haters still won't, will buy the damn thing. Yeah. Guaranteed. No, that. You're right. I, I, I completely agree with you because, and I'll, I'll make two points about this. When I interviewed Thumbtack Jack, we were talking about how uh, people would just see stills of a crazy match that he had with Masada or somebody over in Germany. And that made people want to know what the fuck was this thing with all the, the, uh, the syringes and all that stuff. They, they were all like, it, it made the, the heart grow fond to find this stuff and find it somewhere. And, and as far as I'm concerned, you know, when I was a kid, uh, when I would watch Nitro, they would only show pictures of what happened the night before on the pay-per-view. Please buy the encore presentation if you want to see what happened. And it would annoy me that I could only see pictures. I'd really want you to see that footage. Like that, that that's just from my perspective as a wrestling fan. And as far as live streaming is concerned, something's live streamed. People record that stuff. It's on the internet, able to be downloaded illegally within the day, within the day. And I know that because I've done that before. You know, if I didn't want to have to wait for something or whatever, I found a way to watch something. I, I'm just agreeing with you 100%. It's a smart way of going about it because people are going to be pining to see what happened. And the only way that they could do that, they got to buy that fucking DVD. Back, back when I was watching ECW, um, they put Mustafa on, I think, three tables, and then they showed Rocco Rock going to do a moonsault, but they, they cut him off in air about right here. 
I could not wait to see what that looked like because they, they let the sound go. You know, you heard the tables break. You heard the people go nuts. That's what I want. I want yeah. people to want to search out and and see what we had. And now Fat Tom's on board. He was like, hell yeah, that was the right decision. And, and uh, 2022, that's exactly what we're doing again. Yeah, you'd be silly to give that stuff away. And like, I'll be honest, like WWE just put out this Extreme Rules pay-per-view, which only had one Extreme Rules match. But within the day, they had a whole set of highlights on their YouTube channel where you could see all the main things that happened. And I'm like, why would they do this? You, you want people to buy the network. That's, that's, your, that's your business. That's what it's built towards. Everything is an advertisement to buy the network to watch the pay-per-view, which isn't a really a pay-per-view anymore but they gave away the highlights right. the same day the pay-per-view came out. It's just crazy to me. Just crazy. So you've got the right idea, and believe it or not, the WWE don't. Um, okay, moving forward, uh, another question about IWA East Coast. Proudest moment. There's, it's been a few years that the company's been around. Is there one moment that you're like, you remember that makes you so proud? I, I got to say it's that... Uh... Chris Hero versus Dick Togo match because, uh, of course, I was going to Japan a lot. And uh, I would I would do these shows, and every once in a while, Dick Togo would be on there. Now, before I knew Dick Togo, I thought he was like one of the meanest dudes ever because I'd never seen the dude smile. It was always like a... Uh, not not to make fun of his looks, but a bulldog snarl, you know, just always. So I thought he was like one mean motherfucker. But then he come up smiling and shaking my hand and took me out to eat and stuff like that. So uh, when we made the decision to bring in Dick Togo, there was there was nobody else that we could even think of putting in there but Chris Hero, and that was probably one of our best matches that we had on on all of those uh and then jump forward we brought in matt hardy and um we had a meeting about who to put matt hardy against and i said masada and they was like well we don't know if matt hardy is all that much into death matches or not i said i'm telling you right now Masada did not start out a deathmatch worker. He'll even tell you that uh, Japan was getting ready to to send him home. And I had a talk with him. I'm like, Masada, you got to stop denying these weapons. You know, you got to, I want you to stay here with us. You got to do something. And that's when he kicked into this deathmatch gear. And he, he, he thanks me for that to this day. But, uh, when when I said Masada right away, they thought putting Matt Hardy in a death match. I was like, no, just let him wrestle. Fucking phenomenal match. Great match. Um I, I don't know, man. Like uh that's that's the two that comes to mind. Oh, that and uh when Spike Dudley was going over Bam Bam and viscera and all that stuff shit and he was called the giant killer do you remember that i do well, yeah we we had our own giant called the war pig and uh 
I asked Spike to come in and wrestle the war pig and uh he put our arm giant over. Oh cool. So here here he's going over all these famous giants, but our war pig went over Spike Dudley, which which helped us out, you know. I mean yeah. that's what this is all about. All the wrestlers that we brought in, uh we put we put under to our guys. That's how you build a company. Yeah. <laughs> the three that refused, uh, New Jack said, I ain't putting that motherfucking Ian Rotten over for nothing. So <laughs> understandable. Uh, <laughs> Vader was not gonna put anybody over, no problem. And Abdullah the Butcher was not gonna put anybody over. Everybody else, what we did was we said. Uh, we uh, give us your price and then give us your play ball price and play ball price is we want our guy to go over. So right. we pretty well, we pretty well built our company on that uh, play ball price. And uh, just like when you were talking about IWA's coast today, it must've uh, sparked something cause you're in Australia. We're here and, and we're talking about IWA's coast. Absolutely, bro. It's important, and uh, that's all great stuff to hear. Um, and, and as far as Masada is concerned, a lot of people out there, you, you got to realize this guy doesn't just isn't just able to just do deathmatch stuff. He can do all styles. He can do lucha style. He can do strong style. He can do everything. This guy, he's uh, he, he really is uh, underrated as far as I'm concerned. Um, Okay, uh, so you've also spoke about the, what's in the pipeline for IWA East Coast. I've only got a couple more questions, um, but great to have uh, sunk our teeth into the company that uh, that you're famously a part of. Uh, I just found this interesting. I had to ask about it. It, it. it just seems so like this is something that just, I don't know why this happened, but I can't wait to hear what the story is. 29th of March, 2014, Charleston Civic Center. You take on Nikolai Volkov, is that correct? Yeah. How did that go? Um, back in the day. Okay, so, uh, man, I was watching WWF. You was watching WWF. So many people was watching WWF, but nothing made okay. So I'm a big Sergeant Slaughter guy because you know he would come out and uh, USA and all that shit. But I always loved the Russian guys. You know, the Russian guys was the easiest heat in the world because <laughs> they'd hit the ring and uh, everybody would chant USA. But Something that always impressed the shit out of me is when Nikolai Volkov would sing that song and they're in great arenas. They're in Madison Square Gardens. They're in the Omni. They're in huge arenas, but people would get so mad they couldn't help but just throw shit, you know? And, of course, Iron Sheik's running around kicking the shit out of the ring and cussing at people. But Nikolai Volkov never misses a beat and sings that song while they're throwing shit, you know? I love that. Um, so when I found out that Nikolai Volkov was still wrestling, uh, Rick ba Brady and Ron Oslem from, uh, from uh, D1W, D1W in Charleston, Indiana, 
they said, uh, Pondo, you've, you've done us, done us right all these years. We want to do you right. We know your birthday's coming up. Who do you want to wrestle? Yeah. And I said, oh, I would love it if you guys could get Nikolai Volkov. And of course they're expecting a death match guy or, or, you know, they was pretty, pretty willing to get just about anybody that I said, but when I said Nikolai Volkov, they, they kind of thrown back, but then they realize, Oh, well, I guess that'd be one of those oddity matches that, uh, that might help like draw, you know? So yeah. Uh, Kudos to those guys for helping me out and bringing me in Nikolai Volkov. Because I, I think another two, maybe three years, he passed away. So I'm I'm glad I got to get in there with him. Yeah, that's super cool. I knew that there will be a, a cool story behind that. And now that you mentioned it, him not even missing a beat when all that trash has been thrown at him, that pops me so much. Uh, uh, okay, 2021 is the year that we're in right now. My research says you've worked 17 matches so far this year. Uh, what else do you hope to achieve in your time in the wrestling business at this point in your career? So I want to be, I want to be remembered. I want to live on after I die. That's, that's been my, my goal for many, many years. Um, just, I, I don't know if this is considered bragging, but uh, I've been on three video games for Xbox and PlayStation 2. Yeah. I got my, got my own beer in Japan. Um, I did a horror movie with Robert England called 2001 Maniacs. I, uh, I put my hands on so many women. I have no business putting my hands on, uh, Sarah Logan. Um, I, I did a speech, uh, I know Australia, this might not be all that big to you, but uh, there is this, this place in Washington, D.C., in between the Washington Monument uh, and the Lincoln Memorial, where presidents and, and celebrities have all done speeches at. Uh, Forrest Gump jumped in the water. You know <laughs> where I'm talking about now? Yeah. Yeah. I did a speech there, you know? Wow. Who would have ever thought? This small town kid from Florida, Illinois would do a speech uh, back when ICP versus the FBI was a big thing. I did a speech wow. in between there. So all these matches that I'm still doing today, tomorrow, as a matter of fact, ICW, no holds barred. Um, I have uh, Bam Sullivan on Saturday. I have uh, uh, the Mortons the next Saturday. I have Atticus Kogar the next Saturday after that. Um, you know, I am dead. So people keep asking me, why are you still doing death matches? And, and my answer to them is, why not? That's, that's why people know who I am today. That's why I'm on this podcast in Australia, because of death matches. And they just want... They just expect me to get 52 and, and just relax. And 
if you've seen my matches that I've had, I'm I'm not mailing them in. I'm I'm uh, you know I'm not jumping off of shit like I used to and can't jump off balconies no more. My spleen might shoot out my asshole or something like that. <laughs> but I'm doing my best to uh, to enhance death matches as much as I can. But I want to be that guy. So I want to be that guy that that people will remember and not for being a scumbag or, or, uh, cheating the wrestlers or none of that. I, I think I'm pretty well over that. Uh, IWA's coast, not one wrestler cannot say that they did not get what they was promised. Um, and I run a promotion now girl fight. Uh, not, not one of those girls have been sexually harassed or, we don't even let our crowd chant sex, uh, body shaming or sexual uh, things. So, uh, and and they've all gotten the money that they've been promised. So, as a promoter, I would think that I'll be remembered in a good light. Uh, but as a promoter, you, you're always going to get enemies, and I do have two huge enemies out there. Um. That's what I'm trying to get across, though. Uh, I'm not going to quit doing death matches until death matches quit doing me. People keep saying, Honda, what age are you going to quit doing these death matches? And I'll, I'll, I tell them, I'll tell you how old I am when I'm done. You know, I mean, I'm not, <laughs> not done. So uh, when I when I pass away, uh, I don't have that much TV notoriety. Um, I'm not. I've never been on WWE, WCW, ECW. Uh, the list goes on and on. I won't be on AEW. But people know who I am. I'm known, you know. Uh, Jack Sparrow said it best when they said, you're the worst pirate I've ever heard of. And he said, but you've heard of me. <laughs> well, that's me, right? I'm the worst wrestler you ever heard of, but you've heard of me, you know. So I want to just keep on living after I die. So I'm not going to slow down and until that time. Uh, I thought I was pretty invincible until uh, WrestleMania weekend until I got put down for 12 weeks. And that, that was a big wake up call right there. But uh, I think I've been, I'm, you know, even after being uh, that hurt, I'm all healed up and uh, I'm right back into the, same stupid shit that I was doing before. So I just want to be remembered and, and podcasts like this and, and, uh, fans coming out to, to watch what I'm doing. And, and, uh, I think, I think I'm, uh, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm, I'm creating a legacy of Pondo was a good guy, but man, he was a maniac in the ring. And that's, that's what I want. Awesome, bro. Loved hearing all of that. And I have to say, this has been one of the most uh, fun interviews that I've ever done. I've, I've nearly done 100 interviews. You'll be number 96, actually. Um, oh, wow. So I've I really uh, just uh, really enjoyed speaking to you and, and hearing about all of this. And uh, I'll get to some more kinder words uh, in, in a bit. But uh, I wanted to give you the opportunity to plug anything and everything before we get to our final segment five second frenzy uh anything right. that you want all of your fans australian deathmatch fans iwa east coast fans please the floor is yours 
All right. Uh, there's a guy named Corey Higdon who uh, I've been trying to help out as much as I can. And he started a website to sell T-shirts for only deathmatch workers. So there's like six or seven of my shirts on there. Uh, any deathmatch worker you can think of are selling T-shirts on this website. And he's paying a lot more than all the other websites. Because he wants to help us. So, uh, Corey Higdon over at deathmatchworldwide.com for all your deathmatch worker uh, t shirt needs that you can even think of. Go check it out and, and uh, see what he's got. Also, another thing that's going to keep me alive after I'm gone I have a book wrote about me. Uh, there's two more in the hopper, but. Um, it's called Memoirs of a Madman. I haven't got one complaint on that uh, on that book, one, not from anybody. People say that they laughed out loud a lot because uh, I tell all my embarrassing stories along with my cool stories and, and uh, growing up, um, time in the business, uh, all types of shit. But uh, you can get that at Memoirs of a Madman on amazon.com or you can write eatsleepwrestle.com that's eatsleepwrestle.com and ask John Cosper about getting an, an autograph picture, I mean an autograph copy of the book and then as far as social media so there's a Twitter and there's an Instagram but I had to have somebody else make it, computer dumbass like we've been talking about um <clears throat> I was right people on that. Nobody was writing me back, but I didn't know you had to put at in front of their name because I'm a fucking moron. Uh, but if you want to get a hold of me, um, my real name is Kevin Kennedy, C-A-N-A-D-Y. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Find me on there. Um, I might not accept you as a friend because, uh, I don't know, people keep reporting my pictures. You know, I'll put a bloody, bloody picture up there and, and people will report it. So I might not add you as a friend, but you can always write me a message and I'll, I'll uh, respond to that. Um, and that's about all I got really on on uh, where to find me. And then, uh, I mean, you're in Australia, so uh, uh, I can't remember his name. Oh, shit. Joel? Joel Bateman? Is that Yeah, right? Joel Bateman. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've spoke to him before. Yeah. He is uh, talking about bringing me to Australia after all this craziness of of COVID and, and airports open up. So please, if uh, if I'm in your area in Australia, come out and, and see me, man. Like, uh, yeah, I, I act crazy and stupid in the ring, but outside, let's have a conversation, you know. So, uh, yeah, for Australian people, I, I think I'm coming in. So Deathmatch Down Under, I believe it's called. Oh, of course, Deathmatch Down Under. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's only been around maybe about a year or so, but uh, yeah, that that's really that's awesome. Uh, and everyone out there, everything uh, that Pondo has just plugged down there on YouTube in the description, you better find it all there. Uh, links to the the memoirs of a madman, uh, deathmatchworldwide.com and eatsleepwrestle.com. And whenever this does take place, you coming to Australia, we will ensure to uh, 
promote any of your appearances on our on our channel. Uh, so that's exciting to know I've been, that. That I've be been the there before. I, I wrestled there before. Uh, a referee, Daniel Balmont, brought me in, and I wrestled a uh, TNT. Oh, uh, TNT, right? <laughs> yeah, I wrestled a uh, uh, Mad Dog and and Mike yep. Manson and. Uh, uh, Cracker Jack, you know, I, I wrestled some guys there. And then uh, I also went when ICP was on tour in Australia, I was over there. I was I was one of the stage uh, um, Fago Monster is what I was called. But in my stay over there, and, and this stays in my head, it will never leave. You can keep all that Vegemite you fucking want. Don't put that shit on my bread. Don't, don't <laughs> even bring that toothpaste looking tube at me. Put that shit anywhere. I don't know how you guys eat that shit, but hey, <laughs> if, if you ever came to America, I have some uh, uh, flower potting dirt that you can eat. And I think it tastes just about the same and it's a lot cheaper than Vegemite, I believe. <laughs> I love Vegemite and I like to lay it on real thick as well. Even Australians wow. don't like the way that I lay it on. It's bad, wow. but I love it. Wow. I just I just grew up on it. I can't help it. I just love it. That's what they all say. I grew up <laughs> on it. So your parents, if your parents would have put turds on bed on bread, you grew up with that. I mean That's a good point. You got me there, bro. You got me there. <laughs> okay, Madman Pondo, we're getting to the segment now. It's called Five Second Frenzy. You've got five seconds to answer each question, even if you don't make it to the five second rule. It's okay. You won't get in trouble. But the first question on Five Second Frenzy is Who is your favorite wrestler of all time? Sergeant Slaughter, uh, Bruiser Brody, Terry Funk. Excellent answers, all three. Uh, no, this could be a tough one for a lot of people. Who is your favorite opponent that you've had over the years? Uh, Necro Butcher, Terry Funk. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just stay at those two, Terry Funk and Necro Butcher. Excellent, bro. Um, Toby Klein, Toby Klein, Mr. Insanity, Toby Klein's number three. Excellent. Uh, if you could pick the favorite match you've performed in over all these years, what would you pick? It would be Terry Funk. <laughs> That's a, he's in all three answers, but uh, Terry <laughs> Funk uh, for the JCW title and uh, Toby Klein at Tournament of Death with the with the uh, pencil board bump at the end. Fuck them pencil boards, man. Fuck that. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a fun day. Uh, <laughs> getting away from wrestling now. Favorite book? Uh, it would have to be mine because it's the only one that I've read. <laughs> I had to read it to proofread it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have read that motherfucker either. But it had to be my book. <laughs> Excellent, bro. Um, I love magazines, though. There's a lot of pictures in those. I, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about there. Our favorite TV show, bro? Uh, it would have to be Game of Thrones because, man, I watched every one of them religiously and then went back and watched them again. And I, I haven't done that with any other TV show. Right, awesome. I've done that three times with The Sopranos. Uh, favorite too much, film? Too much penis. Too much <laughs> penis in that fucking game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, favorite film, if you could pick one? 
there's my horror movie film. I loved it's a trauma film. And even on Australia, you can uh, go to uh, trauma.com. That's T-R-O-M-A.com. And there's a movie called Mother's Day. Uh, it's got some rape in it. That's not why I like it. Uh, there's two brothers in there and, and their mom's teaching them to be uh, rapists and killers. And uh, uh, they fight with each other. Uh, Mother's Day. Trauma is the Mother's Day. All right. That sounds interesting. I'm going to write that down. That was a crazy. And 2001 Maniacs that I'm in with Robert England. I'll say that was a good one, too. <laughs> Excellent, bro. Uh, favorite musical artist or band? Uh, I've got Hank Williams Jr.'s son, Hank Three. Uh, I have heard that he took too many mushrooms or acid, so he doesn't tour too much. But I saw that guy eight times in a row. Uh, I like watching Weird Al. Um, of course, uh, I've seen Insane Clown Posse on stage more than your normal human being. Um, I, I like the I like the artists that have uh, great stage shows, not just uh, not just standing in front of a microphone with a guitar. So, uh, ACDC always had a real good stage show. Kiss. Um, I mean, but I, I've seen all types, man. I, I've I've seen rap, I've seen rock, I've seen country. So uh, I'm not really all that big a music fan, but I'll be damned if that's not kind of the scene that I'm in because of ICP. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, getting away from the arts now, favorite food? <sighs> anything, man. Well, I, I say anything. I, I, I don't know if you guys have them in uh, in Australia, but we have mashed potatoes here. Yes. <laughs> I cannot stand fucking mashed potatoes. I, I, I hate beans. Jelly beans. I'll eat the fuck out of jelly beans, but I hate beans. Um, uh, favorite food, though. You want my favorite food? Shit, man. It, it, I, I like gyros, 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 however the fuck you say it. Gyro. Uh, Gyros, I like uh, I like Red Lobster's popcorn shrimp. Yeah, probably whatever Red Lobster has is probably my favorite food. Excellent, excellent. Uh, so, favorite place to eat on the road? Whatever's open anymore. COVID's got us all <laughs> shut down. But uh, man, it would have to be any fat. I mean. And and our it just goes from exit to exit, but uh, um, uh, you know what? We have a place here called the Cookout now, and it's like a wrestler's best friend. You get a a main entree, which is a, a hamburger or a double cheeseburger or a quesadilla and all that shit, and then you get two sides, which uh, you, you get to choose from uh, hash browns, uh, uh, not hash brown, hush puppies. Uh, chicken nuggets or onion rings, and then you get a Coke, um, all for $5 and some odd chain. So it's a wrestler's best friend. I'd say a, a restaurant called The Cookout. Excellent, bro. Uh, favorite alcoholic beverage? I don't drink. I know that's a big myth that I'm, I do a lot of drugs and I drink and, 
and I don't even chew tobacco or smoke a cigarette, but uh, I would have to say probably a screwdriver because that's my go-to if I just have to drink, but give me more orange juice than you do vodka. Fair enough. Uh, second last one for Five Second Frenzy. Favorite female body part? Ass, titty. Uh, <laughs> just pick one. Uh, ass. I'm sure there's a vagina up in here somewhere. <laughs> awesome, Brian. The last one for Five Second Frenzy is your favorite curse word. Fuck it. Excellent, bro. Fuck this, fuck that, fuck them, fuck them all. You know, I mean, yeah, I it's to the point now that I don't even know that I'm saying that word until somebody says, Man, you say fuck a lot. <laughs> I guess it's what I like to do the most, so that's what I say the most, you know. It's fair enough, bro. I'm Australian, I hear it all the time. Uh, so I, uh, <laughs> Pondo. What a what a privilege to have the opportunity to speak to you here today. Uh, this has meant so much to me to have the opportunity to learn about and, and hear some fantastic stories from you. You're really open and honest. And as you were talking about earlier about wanting to be remembered, you're definitely going to be remembered. You're, you're going to be in those video games forever. You're going to be in that film forever. You've got a book about you that will be around forever. So you will be remembered. And... I live in the most isolated city in the world, Perth, Western Australia. I know the name Madman Pondo. I will always remember the name Madman Pondo. And this interview will be on YouTube forever. So I just hope that you're so proud of everything that you've accomplished, what you've done for other people. Um, you're obviously a fantastic promoter that's never fucked anybody on money or anything like that. So from one end of the world to the other, I just want you to know that you're appreciated all the way over here, my friend. Uh, Perth, I, I think that's where I flew into Perth. Is is your airport? Is everything around it like a a, a farm with cows and sheep? And no, I don't is think that so. it? <laughs> no. no, man, I flew into an airport. I thought I was in the wrong spot. Like it was, it was all farm area around this fucking airport. <laughs> I thought that was Perth. Maybe not. I don't know. Melbourne, maybe. Ah, oh, shit. I don't know. I'm not a sure, terrible. Uh, I, I, <laughs> so uh, we're walk. I, I know you, you got to get off here, but um, we're walk This is a terrible story, but it's one of my favorites in Australia. So uh, we're walking around where the uh, where the opera house is there yep. in Sydney, and there is a blind girl there playing uh, this long thing with with I think it's called an oboe or something like that i don't know but she's doing really good and people's all giving her chains in her bowl and <laughs> she's counting that change in her bowl and about that time one of those boats blew the horn and scared the shit out of her and her chain flew everywhere <laughs> and, uh, a bunch of us wrestlers went over and picked up the change for her but uh i do remember that i remember that story <laughs> i'm a terrible person i know <laughs> uh, again bro i just want to thank you very much and uh you know i just uh, you know you will be remembered my friend thank you thank you so much you if uh if you go to a family reunion and and they're talking about what's your favorite food you say madman pondo 
You know, just keep my name alive, no matter what. <laughs> no matter what, bro. If, if you go to massage one of those uh, bordellos, which I went to two over there, and they say, what position do you want? Say that Madman Pondo position. Just keep my name alive, everything you do, no matter what. <laughs> awesome, bro. Well, thank you again very much, bro. It means a lot to me to have you on the show. All right, man. Have a good night. No worries, bro. And and thank you, everyone out there, for watching the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California and Fury, here with my new friend, Madman Pondo, and we will see you next time. Thank you.